Well, as the kids go off to their... Wow, she's quite a princess there. All right. Well, uh, and we're going to take a look at that this morning in a moment uh, from the end of chapter 4. There we go. And the title of the message this morning is Unity in Diversity, or subtitle, Variety and Beauty in the Church. And so sometimes when we look at the very beginnings of some of the letters in Scripture or the very ends, it's easy to do a gloss of it, right? Oh, okay, he's saying hello to so-and-so. You know, does it really have much meaning? Does it have any practical application? He's not really teaching us something there. But actually, there is something for us to learn as we look at the, both the beginning greetings and the ending greetings of some of those letters because we learn something about relationships that people had in the early church. So we're going to talk about that this morning. So in his time serving the Lord, Paul developed many meaningful relationships. And so often in his letters, he made sure some of those who he knew, either as the evangelist and apostle to those who found Christ through his ministry, or sometimes it was someone he was a mentor to, or people he considered to be fellow workers, people that were supportive of the church, and he would often note uh, something, some kind of greeting to them. And as we look at the various relationships we find at the end of Colossians, I would like for us as well to be considering how we need to be thankful for our relationships in the church, and how we need to cultivate relationships in the church, and how we need to encourage relationships in the church. And so we have this beautiful gift that God has given each of us, and that is brothers and sisters in Christ. If we were to write a letter of our lives, how much could we look at our relationships in the church with gratitude, with love, and with confidence in each other? And so we should ask ourselves as we look at this individually, how am I doing? Corporately, how are we doing? And what can we do to strengthen relationships in the church? So I'll begin by reading the uh, passage from Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 7. And uh, we'll read to the end of the chapter, and then we'll look at some of these relationships Paul had. So he writes, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. 
Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. All right, so there's a lot of names in there. I want through most of those names quickly, um, just to give us an idea of who they are. Because again, we don't want to gloss over this. There might be something for us to learn, right? I think there is. So Tychicus was a loyal supporter and companion of Paul. Paul had sent him personally to deliver this letter and also to tell the church about Paul's activities. And the letter contains the words of Paul, the instructions and encouragements to the church. These instructions from Paul himself are written, but Tychicus could do more than just what Paul wrote, and he could share more with what was going on with Paul. Um, Those things that are probably secondary, but most important, Paul wants the church to know what's going on with him. Now, Tychicus is mentioned five times in Scripture. He's mentioned in Acts, Ephesus, or Ephesians, this is their letter to the Ephesians, Second uh, Timothy, and Titus, and then here in Colossians. So he was likely a convert of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. He had been with Paul through thick and thin. He had faced danger alongside Paul. He had served as Paul's messenger on, on occasions and may have been the one who carried the Ephesian church's offerings to the poor in Jerusalem. So here in Colossians, Paul commends Tychicus as a beloved brother and fellow minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And Tychicus was to deliver this letter and as well the letter to Philemon and the letter to the Ephesians and possibly a letter to the Laodiceans. Now we don't have the letter to the Laodiceans. Would have been interesting to have, but God chose not to include that for us to see. But it would have been instructive to them, I'm sure, at the time. So we know that uh, it's likely that all those letters were sent at the, uh, by Tychicus because in, 16, um, in verse 16, Paul says to the Colossian church, hey, you should read the letter to the Laodiceans and make sure that uh, they read this letter too. And I've probably mentioned this before if I haven't here. We know that Paul's letters were duplicated and brought to be read in other churches. So they, it would be specific to one church they would read it out loud. Somebody that was a scribe could, could copy it, and then they would duplicate it and send it around. And that's how the early church got its teachings. And so we see specific uh, directions from Paul here commanding that these letters not only be read in the one church that they were addressed to, but also to be shared at other churches as well. Now Tychicus, he's a behind-the-scenes guy for the most part. He was a servant who was not always in the spotlight, but he was very important. Sometimes in the church, we forget that those serving behind the scenes are vital, and the work that they do has eternal effect. And the deacons, for example, that were appointed in Acts 6, they were appointed to do work that freed up the apostles to focus on their teaching and their study of the word. As one person said, a look at Tychicus reminds us that momentary things done for Christ are eternal. What would be the use of Paul writing a letter if he didn't have someone to deliver it? 
what good would it, these wonderful passages be that we've been learning in Colossians if, we, if they had never been read? And so we should be reminded that every job in service to Jesus is important. When we look at all the elements of what it takes to function as a church, may we never take it for granted, even what may seem to us a small task done by a quiet servant. So thank you for those servants who are out there, and they don't want to necessarily be recommend or commended for it, but we notice, we want to notice that. So Paul commends Tychicus as a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. He then says that the purpose he's sending Tychicus, besides the obvious delivering of the letter, is so the church may know how Paul and his companions are, and also that he may encourage their hearts. Sometimes we think of Barnabas as the example from Scripture, the son of encouragement. And we think, oh, that's someone that has a special gift of encouragement. And we've all met people like that, right? The person that just, they just seem to encourage everybody and you always feel better after seeing them. And there is kind of a gifting for that. So um, we recognize that. But we need to, all of us, be encouragers one of another. All of us. Some of you, depending on where you came from, all y'all, we all need to encourage one another. And we need to be thankful for the relationships we're in the church, that we have in the church. We need to cultivate those relationships. We need to encourage those relationships. And we need to consider how we need to be thankful for them. Now, we'll move on to Onesimus. Now, this is a very interesting guy here. Onesimus uh, was... Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. But anyway, along with the letter to the Colossian church, Tychicus also brought a letter that was specifically for one man, Philemon. You can find it. Most Bibles, it's less than a page, so you can read it all very quickly. And we're going to look at that short letter. I've decided that that'll be like an encore, so to speak, for the book of Colossians, because they really do go together. So uh, the next sermon I'll do will be actually from Philemon because I thought these go together so well. We might as well, since the letters were sent at the same time, we may as well teach them at the same time. Um, So anyway, the letter to Philemon is a letter where Paul requests that Philemon be kind and forgiving towards Onesimus. Why does Philemon need to be kind and forgiving towards Onesimus? Because Onesimus was a runaway slave, and Philemon had been his owner. Here's the cool thing, though. Both Onesimus and Philemon became Christians. Now, perhaps you will have a better understanding of why Paul wrote to masters and servants earlier in Colossians, because he probably had in mind this one separate letter he was sending specifically. And... So Paul had written, and we were in that a few weeks ago, how masters and servants, how they need to treat one another. Onesimus, Paul said in in the letter to Philemon, he was once worthless, but now is quite valuable. He's also referred to by Paul as a faithful and beloved brother. Paul says in the other letter that Onesimus is his child, that Paul became a father to him in the faith during his imprisonment. So Onesimus was formerly useless to Philemon. It looks like if we're reading in the text right, he was lazy and he was probably a thief. But now Paul says he's useful to both Philemon and to Paul. 
so that's who Philemon was, useless. But Philemon has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says he is much more than a bondservant. He's a brother. In his letter to Philemon, he urges Philemon to accept Onesimus as a brother. And now in his letter to the church of Colossian, at the, Col- Col- the Colossian church, the church at Colossae, <laughs> it's easy for me to say, um, now he's telling them Onesimus is one of you. So he's really making sure that they understand that. Runaway slave, yes. Violator of the law, yes. One of you, yes. So Onesimus and Tychicus together are going to tell the church all that has taken place. So we'll learn about more about Onesimus when we get to the letter of Philemon. Now Aristarchus, um, we don't know a whole lot about him. He's a fellow prisoner of Paul. He's mentioned a few times in Acts. He's also mentioned in Philemon and Romans as well. And he's also one that's been with Paul through thick and thin. So he's been around. He's been uh, a supporter and a fellow worker with Paul. Then we have Mark. And this is John Mark, the likely author of the Gospel of Mark. And he's also the cousin of Barnabas, who, who Paul says needs to be welcomed to the church if he comes. Then we have Jesus called Justice. Now, just a quick thing on the name Jesus. Sometimes we, because we're uh, worshipers of Jesus, we seem to think there's only one person that was ever named Jesus. This was actually a common name. Uh, it's the same name as Joseph, really. It's Jesus uh, called Justice, and that would have been uh, a way to further clarify who this particular Jesus was. So it's just like if you know a lot of, say, you've been in a place where several people have the same name at your work, for example, don't you find another way to kind of say, oh, that, that one, it's that one, not this one. And so Jesus called justice. Um, he's mentioned in Acts as well as a companion of Paul's, a fellow prisoner, and along the, among those with Paul, um, those are the only Jews, Paul says. So he's, he's thankful to have them. And then we have Epaphras. We discussed Epaphras a little more extensively in chapter 1 when we were studying that. He's the one that Paul said had done a good job instructing the church in the proper teaching of the gospel. And Paul said Epaphras greets the church and he always struggles on their behalf in prayer. And this word struggle, it means striving or fighting. It's like he's actually in, the, in a, almost like a, a state of war on behalf of the church in his prayers. And so Epaphras, like most ministers who have poured into those they've discipled, he's concerned for them. He wants to see them mature. He wants to see them fully assured in all the will of God. Paul says Epaphras has worked hard for the churches. And then we have Luke the physician. Now we could, we could talk a lot about Luke the physician um, his contributions to the church. Uh, of course, he was eyewitness to many of the things that he wrote about in the book of Acts and about Paul's ministry. He was actually there for a lot of that. And then for a lot of the other things that he did research on. And then he, he wrote a very detailed uh, gospel, the Gospel of Luke. And he also wrote Acts. And if you read at the very end of Acts, there are a lot of scholars that think that Luke intended to write a follow-up even after that, but he never, we don't know whatever became of that, but it seems like the way he ends the book of Acts, he might have been already preparing to do a further history of the church, but 
Um, but that's Luke. Uh, we know a little bit about Luke, so I won't talk too much about him. Demas, now he's an interesting character, especially in light of what Paul is writing here. Because Paul doesn't really say very much here about Demas. He just kind of says, oh, Demas is giving you a greeting. But we know that Demas ended up falling away. And we see that in 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And so Paul is saying, here's this guy. He writes about him here and says he's greeting you. And later on when he writes to Timothy, he says he's deserted me. And how sad that must have been for Paul. It's also a reminder to us of the benefits and risks of being vulnerable to invest in time with other people. When we love much, we can be hurt much. Many times in ministry and in life, we spend time on people only to be taken advantage of or to be later even reviled by the ones we loved. On the other hand, if we close ourselves off so much because we're trying to avoid that and we don't want to have those relational pitfalls, we also will never have the golden opportunities to see real growth in people, to find ourselves in real loving and life-giving relationships. So if you don't open up to people, maybe you close off and protect yourself from some of those hurts, although I would argue really you don't, but you'll never have the opportunities for the good things either. But Demas, Paul wrote, he loved the present world. Now, we can only guess specifically what Paul meant by that, um, but it is as true today as at any point of history that if we lose our focus on the heavenly kingdom, we may fall into the pit of temptation and fall in love with this world more than that. In Pilgrim's Progress, the study of Demas is illustrated in a silver mine. Travelers are, are traveling on their way to the celestial city, and off to the side is a mine, and it looks like it's easy to get in there. It's a silver mine. But everyone who goes in there falls in and dies. And that's an illustration that John Bunyan gave in Pilgrim's Progress of Demas and what the temptation is when we choose to put something in the world as more important than our main mission. We stray off the path because we see some silver to be dug or whatever that silver is in your life that is more attractive for the moment than the gospel, than the kingdom. The chances are you're going to fall in the pit. So in this letter, Demas is mentioned as one who greets the church, but later in his letter to Timothy, Paul says he's deserted him. Now, does he mean that Demas deserted the gospel altogether? Or did he just wimp out of ministry? We, we can't be sure. It's hard to go too far drawing conclusions there. And knowing Paul's prayer life, I, I'm sure that he prayed for Demas to turn back and to serve the Lord once again. And so we ought as well to pray for those who seemingly have gone out of the church. God knows their hearts. We do not always see what God sees, but we have a responsibility, nevertheless, to pray. Then Paul says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, and that refers to the believers there. All right, now we get to Nympha. Nympha, we don't know much about Nympha, other than that there was a house in her church. That's pretty much all we know. Now, some people have taken this text to say, well, this is an example of a woman pastor. 
But the text doesn't say that. It just simply says there was a church in her house. And very often people hosted a church in their house. You know, they didn't have our beautiful buildings like we do now. So people hosted church in their house. Other than that, we don't know much about her. Next, Paul says, make sure that we read this letter in Laodicea and you read their letter. So likely Paul had some slightly different things he was saying to each church that he wanted everybody to be able to read and to share them. And again, like I mentioned before, they were meticulously copied. And that's one of the reasons why we have such confidence in Scripture because so many copies were made of some of these letters so scholars can compare them to each other and verify their authenticity. Then we have Archippus. We don't know much about Archippus either here and in Philemon only, as he mentioned, and he's only mentioned. Uh, So he's told to fulfill the ministry he has received. And finally, Paul signs the letter in his own hand, giving it authenticity. So the letter itself was dictated by Paul. We know that Paul had some eyesight issues, and so he usually didn't write all of his own letters. But in this case, he writes a greeting at the end in his own hand. And finally, he tells them, remember my chains. Remember my chains. Why does he want them to remember his chains? Well, for Paul, those chains became a symbol of his chains that he was in bondage to Jesus for what Jesus did for him. And so he calls himself throughout his writings at different times a slave or a bondservant of Christ. So to Paul, it isn't the Romans who hold him captive, it's Jesus. Everything he thinks and does is for Jesus, and so he, he doesn't even see the Romans as his true captors. He's, he's a slave to Jesus. So we had the three points I kind of introduced at the beginning about relationships, that we need to be thankful for our relationships. The context here is pretty much in the church, but can be extended out. We need to be thankful for our relationships, we need to cultivate those relationships, and we need to encourage others in their relationships as well. So first of all, we want to be thankful in our relationships. Paul is clearly thankful for his relationships. They've been developed throughout his whole ministry. They say nothing bonds people together like people who have been through a trauma together. And another thing that bonds people together is people that work together. Um, if they're accomplishing some task together and work side by side to do something, those people will have a bond that they might not have had otherwise. And that's why work days at the church are good. That's why I encourage you to help out at our fall festival. Get involved with packing shoeboxes. Be part of the church and serve. It isn't only that we need your help, but you will benefit in many ways. You, for one, would be obedient to Christ and serve him. And you also would find increased appreciation for others in the church. You may also find yourself annoyed by people's quirks if you do that. But that's part of it, right? And the trick is to not focus on those things that are divisive, but rather to focus on the good things in others. And this is what Paul was talking about when he encouraged two ladies in a church to get along. Imagine this now. We don't know what their issue is, but think about that. There are two ladies whose names are forever enshrined in the Holy Bible, 
because they weren't getting along. I, thankfully, the Bible is completed. You can learn about that in the class that we're giving. But um, we don't add to the Bible now, so our names don't get added for that, for, you know, tell, tell uh, so-and-so to get along. But I want to read this in its context because I want you to see where Paul is going with this. This is in Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 2. And I did a thing on my software program where I played that you can push a, any word in the Bible and have them pronounce it, and I'm still going to miss these names because they're kind of different. But in Philippians 4, I entreat Thea, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice These things and the God of peace will be with you. Do you notice how this goes together now? You may not have ever caught this before, but it says, ladies, get along. You are one in Christ. You have labored side by side with me in the gospel. Your names are in the book of life. And immediately after this, he gives the means. He gives the command get along, and then he gives the means. The means are rejoice, be reasonable, don't be anxious, pray, and you will have peace. And think about good things, things that are true, things that are honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy, and practice the things that Paul has demonstrated in his example to them. So Paul was pretty smart, right? And, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this. And if you're interested to know what that means, that Scripture is inspired, you should be here tonight at 7 p.m. because that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. So Paul is smart, inspired, and he writes this to all work together. And it's brilliant, really. But it's so simple. If you focus on rejoicing, if you focus on being thankful, and all those other things Paul says to focus on, you will have a much easier time getting along with others. Is it any wonder then that he writes after telling these two ladies to get along that he tells you, and here's how to do it. Next, we need to cultivate relationships. Relationships are hard work, really hard work. 
But look at all the people that Paul has in his life. If you look, not just here in Colossians, but in all of his letters, he's always writing to somebody saying, hey, tell so-and-so hello. You know, get, get to, uh, I got to meet a very sweet lady that's a member of your church this week, and it was just wonderful, and I got to hear stories of, well, here's what we did in the past as a church. And that's awesome. And this is, well, basically, that's what Paul is doing here. And he's saying, hey, remember all these people? We all served together. We did this and that. Greet them for me as you bring this letter to them. But yes, it's hard work to get along. We need to cultivate those relationships. The relationships Paul had, they came through a lot of patience, a lot of sweat and tears, sometimes going through persecution together, and that was the bond that they had. But the real bond was Jesus, and he's our bond as well. So we're supposed to cultivate our relationships, cultivating with time, with prayer, through care. And Epaphras is an example here as well. Wouldn't you love to know that someone is struggling on your behalf in prayer? The best encouragement I've ever received is when someone that I know prays says, you know, I pray for you every day. Wow. That's pretty encouraging. Of course, the word cultivate, that's an agricultural term, right? So in order to help a plant or a seed to take root, You cultivate the soil. And you don't just cultivate it once. There's ongoing work. Especially here in Florida where things grow four times faster than where I came from. Relationships take cultivating. It's hard work. Finally, we need to encourage relationships. We need to encourage others in their relationships. That might be a better way for me to say it. In other words... Just like Paul did, if you see some people that are maybe not getting along, you might have to say, hey, get along. You guys are, your names are in the book of life, Paul said. You work side by side. We're in the ministry together. Get along. And not get along, little doggy. Just get along with people, right? So we get along, forgive, be reasonable, build one another up. And there's all kinds of exhortations in Scripture that tell us about getting along, how we're supposed to work hard at that. And so we always have to remind each other as well what Scripture teaches about relationships. And not only should we be thankful for our relationships and cultivate them, we should encourage others towards healthy relationships as well. So we, we've had this series, I titled the series, Sharpening Our Focus. And really the biggest focus was Christ, sharpening our focus on Christ. We go back to Colossians 1 and 2, especially there's those really wonderful passages about Christ. But we want to sharpen our focus on Christ. And if we sharpen our focus on Christ, there should be some results from that. The result, one of the results should be a sharpened focus on mission. We are on mission. Now, we're the Christian and Missionary Alliance. A lot of times people hear mission and they think of what's going on next week. We have people that are supporting missions coming to talk to us, to encourage us, to give and to pray for missions. That's part of it. But you're on mission, Christian. You're on mission where you're at. At your work, at your home, in your family, extended family. 
when you're driving on the Southern Boulevard, you're on mission. So keep that sharp focus on Christ and your focus on mission will sharpen as well. Your focus on relationships will focus. Your focus on the kingdom of God as well should be sharpened. Sharpen your focus on Jesus, our Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, Coming King. Sharpen your focus on the fact that if we love Jesus, we must love his bride, the church. If you say, by the way, if you had a friend, let's say you had a friend who's getting married, and you tell him his bride is ugly, he won't be your friend very long. If you say you love your friend who's getting married, but you don't want any relationship with his bride, you're not a true friend. If you say you love your friend who's getting married and you mock his bride, then you're no friend at all. The church is the bride of Christ. If you say you love Christ and tell him his bride is ugly, you probably don't love Christ. If you say you love Christ and want no relationship with his bride, you're no true friend. If you say you love Christ and you mock his bride, you really are no friend at all. And so as we look at the conclusion of Paul's letter, at the beautiful relationships he had, and in a sense, it's okay. that's one thing that's maybe okay to covet a little bit, right? I want relationships like that. We don't write letters anymore. Most of us want everything in text form, like, you know, 200 characters or less. But if you were to write a letter to your family of believers, what would you be able to write next to the names? Look at who went through all the stuff with Paul and how he writes to them. What a beautiful thing that is. That, that, that he would recognize the impact they had presently and in the past as well. And we ought to have a great desire as well to say, I want that. But the only way that'll happen is if we sharpen our focus on Jesus first. Sharpen your focus on Jesus. As you sharpen your focus on him, everything else becomes clearer as well. Your relationships will get better in and out of the church. Your hope for the future will get better. Your confidence in heaven will get better if you sharpen your focus on Jesus. And I said some pretty tough things there at the end, didn't I? Maybe that challenges all of us a little bit. Because I think if we all were really, really honest, there's probably times at the church where we thought the bride of Christ was ugly. That we didn't want anything to do with the bride of Christ. Maybe we even mocked the bride of Christ. Forgive us, Lord, and help us do better. But I don't want to end that on a negative. Let's end it on a positive. What are you going to do now, going forward, to improve your relationship with Christ and his bride? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word and encouragement it's been. And as we've journeyed through the book of Colossians, Lord, I thank you for your servant Paul who 